Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, as I've been saying recently, the interaction with the show has been great. You look at, you know, we get the opportunity to really check numbers on on social media, and the level of engagement of the show is up very dramatically. And I think people are really enjoying this uh, wide range of leaders that we're able to talk with who have made so many different contributions to coastal Mississippi. And you're appreciating that you know, this is a complicated place, three coastal counties and all these political subdivisions. And um, if you if you want to make something happen in the region, you got to talk to a lot of people. There's a lot of aligning to do. It's uh, It's complicated in that way. So it takes a lot of people working in the trenches to make this place tick. CEOs and people working in the community and people understanding how important this economic engine is to the rest of the state, how diverse it is, um, just a, just special. And people enjoy hearing the stories. Um, I'm really pleased uh, today that I have Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive. He also has a company called All Terrain Productions. He's been expanding his business, and it's been a, quite a while since he and I have talked. He, he sent me a note recently, and we're going to talk about a, a specific issue that we're going to talk about at some point in the conversation. But um, it hit me that we haven't talked in a while, and I'm really looking forward to catching up with Jonathan. So without any further ado, my friend Jonathan Allen. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Happy to be here, Ricky. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it's, it. It's good. It's good to see you. Um, okay, you're 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 barely in your forties, and you're forty one. I'll be forty two in April. Okay, so you are, you are, you're rocking and rolling, and uh, continuing to expand the size of your company, and get, you're giving back to the community, and and you're doing it with a smile. So as we were chatting with uh, Lauren St. Pay before the show started, if you want to get something done, you got to find a busy person to do it. But you you obviously become a pretty good. Um, you know, manager of your, of your calendar and you're keeping it all straight. What's, what's your secret to success? <laughs> I think I've probably said it on your show every time. Uh, you cannot do what I'm doing without a great team. And uh, I've got some excellent people that have committed to doing what we're doing and knew the mission and the vision a long time ago. So when opportunities came and the potential to buy the Ford and the Mazda dealership from Butch, uh, we were ready because we had planned and prepared to to, to grow, and, and we started cultivating leaders a long time ago and growing other leadership. That's the only way that we can keep growing is, you know, now if we want to look at another business, our first question is, is who's going to run it, who's qualified, and who can we put our full faith in that would operate it the way we would? And I'm talking about my core, my core team now because we were all individually operators of, of businesses at at some point in time, like I ran the Toyota dealership one time, but right now I'm I'm not the point person. I am the owner and the and the direction maker and that kind of thing. So really, it's all about the team. It's all about the team. Yeah, you know, it's uh, 
I spent a lot of time throughout my career leading strategic uh, efforts for Knight Ritter, second largest newspaper company in the country, 26,000 employees, 32 newspapers across America. Spent a lot of time in each of those newspapers working on various plans along the way. And the thing that came very became very clear to me, and for, certainly in terms of ob observing what I observed and the change efforts that we had underway, uh, doing some some acquisition work in the future, some merger and acquisition work in the, in the in, in, as as time went on, was the importance of culture. I, I mean, culture. I mean, really, at the end of the day, man, if your people don't buy into what the core values of the team, a great book that was written called Built to Last, and it's about understanding what are your core values and can they test, stand the test of time. If Jonathan Allen were to go away today, is there built into the DNA of this diversified company the kind of core values that can help it continue to go forward and, and, and literally stand the test of time? That's really important, isn't it? Oh, you've nailed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and almost the simpler, the better. So everybody can easily wrap their head around it and become part of that vision. And when they feel part of the vision, that's when teams do great things. It is. It really is. And then when you go into new companies, look, Butch, Butch Ocelot, think about the dynasty of that name, the Ocelot family and the car Absolutely. dealership. I mean, you, you know it well. You came from the Allen uh, family. But boy, those ties go back a long way, don't they? They do. They do. Uh, Butch is a legend in the industry, and he's known all over the country. I don't know if most of South Mississippi knows that. Uh, he's 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 got uh, he's got brand recognition in the car world for sure. And his dad, Bubba, same thing. And then yeah. you know his family over in Jennings, and that's right. It's uh, it's very significant. And so you go into a company like that, you want you want to you want to you want to honor. Uh, Butch's sort of legacy, but at the same time, you still have to figure out how do I how do I blend the J. Allen Automotive culture into this new company because you don't want a one off. You want it. You want a company that that buys into sort of the core values of the whole thing. So there probably was a good fit there. But the, but but anytime you do a, a, an acquisition like that, it also involves change. So how's that going? Uh, well, with the Ford and the Mazda dealerships, um, you know, car business is car business. We're, we're retailing new vehicles and used vehicles and doing parts and service, and that really doesn't change. The way that the manufacturers uh, behave and act and, diff and are di very different compared to you know, Toyota versus Ford Motor Company and, uh, and Mazda being a very sm much smaller and nimble company right now and looking to grow. Um, they're able to make decisions on the fly. Ford is a very big bureaucratic company with a lot of dealers and not a whole lot of field team or not a whole lot of field staff here to help the dealers because there's just so many dealers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just navigating, getting used to um, that dynamic where my, our region for Ford is technically the Memphis region. It goes up to St. Louis, over into Texas. It's a big area. There's 199 dealers in that area where the region or my area for Toyota is about 27 dealers and and covers basically Baton Rouge, uh, South Louisiana and South Mississippi. And that's it. So, um, you know, we get we get about the same level of support with 27 to 30 stores as we do with 200 and Ford. So, I mean, it's just navigating that and, and trying to get answers to questions when you need them quickly, knowing that they're they're pretty run pretty thin right now for it is yeah. but it but it's still car business on the ground day to day every day 
uh, you know, our parts people are still able to order parts from their system and get them in and take care of our customers. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's all retail car business. But it, but it is an interesting part of this that that beyond what happens on the ground at the dealership when you buy something like Ford or Mazda, this is specifically as it relates to Ford. Um, I remember all of our conversations about about Toyota and you know the responsiveness and all the discussions you guys were having about just-in-time inventory and how you know when you get out of the pandemic will it be a little bit of a of a blend between the way it was and and just-in-time and all of that and you 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 actually felt like you had a voice and having some conversations around that and then you get you get something like Ford where it's bigger and and the, the as you pointed out the regions way bigger um, you know it's it, the contrast between Toyota and Ford at least in terms of what happens behind a curtain is probably dramatic very dramatic and very big I mean in, in the five state region I'm in for Toyota is a privately held distributorship it's the largest private company in Texas it's called the Friedkin companies owns it and it's called Gulf States Toyota well operating with the, in the confines of a privately held distributor makes them much more nimble to answer to their 150 dealers in five whole states. And, uh, and you know, I'm, we're used to that kind of uh, care and attention. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's okay, but it's just different. Yeah, it's very different. It's different. It's different. You've got a lot of experience. You've had leadership roles in the car industry, mm-hmm. and um, you've heard, you know, th- these conversations are not new to you, though, are they? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> You've 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 watched a lot of that 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 go go uh, down for sure. Hey, listen again. Coming back to that point I just made, that it, we were literally in a just-in-time scenario for a good long time. Your margins were better, that's for sure, during that time. Yeah. What? How would you describe it today? Are you back to where you having to carry a lot of inventory like you did before? Or is it some kind of quasi between the two? It's 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 not like it was pre-pandemic, you know, normal car business going back many, many years. Uh, it's quasi, I would say, because we are getting more inventory and there is more inventory on the ground, which is naturally making, you know, the demand a little less because the supply is higher and people have more options and choices. But it's also not overflowing. Now, every manufacturer is different. Some, you know, Toyota is still doing, I would say, just enough. But they're also, you know, they're, we all value uh, our product, our process in car business by how many extra cars that the manufacturer might be able to give us. And, and you know, if you're moving it and turning it, they're apt to send you a little bit more. Well, when you know that um, they offer up that extra more and some dealers say, nah, I'm okay right now, I don't want the extra, that's when you really know that the markets are slowing down a little bit or they've got the right amount of inventory that they need for now and they're a little scared of, of taking on more because it just ups our costs and it ups the, you know, which technically ups everything for everyone. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what they do. I mean, you, uh, the, the Dodge Chrysler Ram stores are um, have a lot of inventory on the ground right now. I see that, I, see, I don't and, know. Yeah, I've yeah. stayed past a couple of stores on the coast and I don't know if they could put another unit on their property. There seems to be so much inventory. But there's always, we'll come back to that on the other side, there's always a little bit of a rub between keeping the manufacturing process moving and what happens at the local dealerships. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back on the other side with my friend Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive. We'll see you after this.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I'm so pleased to have my friend Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's been a long time since he and I visited. Uh, before the pandemic, we visited a lot. During the pandemic, we visited a whole bunch because it was interesting to hear from his perspective how the automobile, how did the auto industry was sort of dealing with the realities of the pandemic. Uh, but when we went to break, we were talking about sort of the, the differences between Ford now that he's bought the Butch Allen dealership. He also bought Butch Allen uh, Mazda. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Um, but, you know, this kind of rub that exists between the manufacturing of the cars and, you know, uh, maybe do, maybe building too many cars and then looking to you guys to put them on your lots, It's uh, there's always going to be a little bit of that, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're the we're the retail arm of the manufacturer. So, you know, when they produce, they expect us to get it sold so they can produce some more. And, you know, if, if something's wrong with a product or wrong with the, the it's our job to speak up and, and be the voice of the consumer. So, yeah, we're the we're the on the ground uh, group. That's what we do. So you got you got this big company in Ford and then you have this smaller company in Mazda. And um, I would think, you know, Mazda being a Japanese co- company, that it would be aligned better culturally with Toyota. What's been your experience? Uh, Mazda is um, uh, it's, it's a nimble dealer network, a nimble group. Um, there's not a whole lot of field staff like I talked about with Ford having uh, not enough, but a lot of dealers. There's there's not a big field staff, but there's not a huge dealer count. So it's they're able to respond and deal with our issues quicker. Um Mazda product is all imported. So most of it's coming from Japan, 99% of it's coming from Japan. So we're, you know, that's something you have to take into consideration. But one thing Mazda has done recently is partnered with Toyota Financial Services. So Mazda Financial Services is basically Toyota Financial Services. And uh, that's that's another way that this deal was kind of pushed forward was um, when I found that out and uh, I went and talked to Butch. I actually just tried to buy the Mazda store in the beginning, and he said, if I'm going to sell them, I'll sell both of them. I was like, well, great. I was interested in that anyway a long time ago. So, uh, But Mazda is really an up-and-coming brand. I mean, it's always been a good brand, and they build good cars, but I think they're one of the most misunderstood brands. And this is something that Mazda, the Mazda people said to me in the very beginning. They said, we are a great car company that have been terrible marketers. And, uh, and, and you know, everybody can uh, probably remember the Zoom Zoom commercials. Well, that's neat and all, but nobody knows how that neat, what that means for a Mazda. And if you get in one, you can see that it's a nice car. It's a very nice car. I mean, it almost is on par with an Acura or an Infiniti. I won't put it quite in BMW or, uh, or Mercedes territory or Lexus territory, but it really is uh, something that the buying public is embracing as a new style than the Mazda of old. Yeah. Uh, so, so really, they they they're kind of spending themselves towards a, kind of a micro luxury manufacturer, and I, I, we like their direction. So I knew, of course, I've known Butch and and Larry Clark, who used to be with Butch, um, for many many years. Uh, many years ago, actually, I called Larry and I said, "Look, my mom, we, my mom, God bless her. She she passed away a couple of years ago. I mean, a couple of months ago. Wonderful woman." I said, "I I need to find a really dependable car for her." And she said, and he later said, you know what you need? You need to get a Mazda. 
And uh, that's that. Hey, that's real life, uh, Jonathan. His dog barking in the background. That's that's just real life. No problem at all. But I said we need to get a really dependable car. And he said you need a Mazda. And so we did. We bought a Mazda for mom, and she had that car for many many years. I mean, she had it up until the time she died. It was the most dependable car I have ever seen. Man, we had that. We we just serviced it, and that was it. It, it never yep. missed a lick. It's just, it's just those scenarios where, like, you change the oil, and that's all it really needs. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Keep the maintenance so, done. So uh, what kind of dog do you have? A golden retriever, and he never <laughs> barks either, but he's he's getting used to this new house, and somebody's yeah. at the door, and uh, I'm not expecting anyone right now. So this is how, you know, this, this is how this is supposed to happen. <laughs> that's okay. It's, it's real life, man. It's definitely yeah. real life. So um, so after all these years of uh, of doing the Toyota dealership and building that brand and then buying, you know, this iconic Austin brand in the Ford and Mazda stores and then bringing it together and doing all the learning you have to do around that, um, you know, it's been it's been a great journey for you, though, hasn't it? It's been uh, an unreal journey, actually. And um, getting to expand our automotive brand just kind of kind of really let our I mean, my mission was always to do it. So our team getting to see the work that we put in to proceed to make that happen and then doing it, making it happen. And then, you know, it's running through um, getting used to the Ford brand and having some Toyota people over in those in those and they're becoming, they're indoctrinated into Ford and Mazda now. And and uh, we just really enjoy kind of expanding our footprint and, and doing our process in, uh, with other brands. And we think that people are going to respond positively to it. Hey, look, um, at the end of the day, if I were to say, okay, what kind of, what business are you in? I'd be interested to see how you describe it, but it's a core business. Well, you're in the marketing business. And of course, you have all-terrain productions, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But you're in the marketing business. You're Absolutely. in the banking business in a big, big way. And yes. the product just happens to be a car but, yes. or a truck. But, but at the end of the day, man, if you're not successful from the banking perspective or from the marketing perspective, you don't have anything, do you? That's right. That's right. Uh, you, you know, you've got to be relevant in the public and you've got to keep that message out there. And then you have to have a process of, of making the, the car purchase process easier for the customer. So they want to do business with you and come back and tell their friends. I mean, that's, that's the whole mission. If it's, if it's any more complicated than that, we're doing it wrong. Yeah. So it's, you know, we just want to make the process simple and you're right. There's a lot of touch points along there with, with, with people getting lending and people insuring and, and dealing with uh, state agencies to get titles sent into the proper places so people can register their vehicles. I mean, we're working with a whole lot to put it all together so people can have their car and, and go about their business and just make it easy for them. That's the mission. You know, it's so interesting to look, uh, I think about the world that you guys are in managing during the pandemic, big time, big time challenges and adjusting and adapting, you know, as an industry, you always have to pay attention to what's happening on the, on the, on the national level in Mississippi, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to what the legislature is doing because you know, the, the, the most, uh, you know, se seemingly nothing bill could turn out to be something that could create real problems for you. So you gotta pay attention to that. You guys are, you know, have always done a good job with that. We'll talk about EVs here in just a second, yeah. but in the midst of all of that, man, you go and buy restaurants. And you get into the restaurant business. Um, again, if you want someone to do something, find a busy person to do it. But but that's been, you know, you've enjoyed that, haven't you? I have. I have. I, I mean, and 
it's triple tails in Bay St. Louis and the Blowfly Bar and Grill in Gulfport. And I, I won't say I was seeking to be in uh, the restaurant business. They kind of just happened in interesting ways because I had the right people at the right time. And when these opportunities came, I was able to say yes because of the people. It always comes back to the people and the team. And uh, and it's a different business. It's 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 tough. And I I I um. I feel for every restaurant owner out there because I mean there are months that it's 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 boom or bust and uh, and I've learned that now. What, what's interesting today is today's Ash Wednesday. We opened Ash Wednesday last year, uh, at, right after Mardi Gras. So uh, today is uh, I, I mean it's because it's not the same day. It's not a year, but uh, it was Ash Wednesday last year that we opened for the first time to the public. So yeah, pretty 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 yeah. amazing. We we actually pre-recording the show for uh, playing the, this week just because of Mardi Gras and all the all the uh, adjustments we had to make as, as it relates right. to that. But, but is it, you know, as it relates to the Blowfly Inn, though, this iconic brand that had gone through some struggles and, you know, transitions and whatever. Yep. You went all in on that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of, I, I didn't, everybody I talked to locally that had known the Blowfly for a long time, they didn't want it, want it to go away. Like I didn't want it to go away, but it also needed kind of a re-imaging and, a, and, a, and kind of a, so we renovated the building completely. And, and I think it's, a, I think it's a beautiful space to be in and have a great meal. And, uh, I'm super happy with it, and we've got we've got kind of a lot of direction we can run in for future promotions or future things. And then the bar downstairs is kind of a work in progress, and we've got ability to pull it by boat now, and the view is just fantastic, mostly year round, and uh, it, it's just a great space. It really is. Yeah. So there was some riffraff and some other stuff right there at the dock. You've got all that cleaned out now. Oh yeah, yeah. We had it dredged, and we uh, we had a channel put in that 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 that's it. It's uh, it's it's seven feet deep. So in most most boats, I mean, I don't know any boat that wouldn't be able to get in that. Uh, yeah. But it was you know two and three feet in certain areas with who knows what up under there. And we did we dredged that area, and we can park uh, four to six boats depending on their sizes, of course. But yeah. we can park four to six boats, and uh, and then come in and have a good meal. Yeah, we we live on the water, so that's uh we we enjoy you know I mean we do it on the spur of the moment. You want to just go eat on the water tonight? Yeah, and yeah. we'll just hop in the boat and go. It's great, and uh, it's great to have that access. I mean that's 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 actually a growing part of coastal Mississippi. The ability to go to lots of different opportunities to eat on the water, and people like that. I mean it's just kind of mm -hmm. becoming part of the culture of coastal Mississippi, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're basically all driving around uh, Back Bay in a way. I mean, if we can get to places as through Back Bay by water, I mean, that just adds a whole other dimension to our coast. It's awesome. Hey, listen, when we come back on the other side, I want to talk to Jonathan about EVs. Um, we've been pushing. Uh, listen, there's going to be a there needs to be an orderly transition to renewables. Let's let's put it that way. But boy, is it going to be is it going to be a rough road ahead if we don't be smart about how we make that transition? We're, we're going to talk to Jonathan about that on the other side. We'll see you after this. of Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive, this expanding company, this diversified company. And uh, listen, I had the opportunity on a pretty regular basis to visit with a young man in his 30s running. He's a CEO of, of uh, Golding Barge Line in Vicksburg. But they do uh, petrochemical products and other chemical products in all the inland waterways of, of America. He's in a, such a great position to see all these raw products and these these petroleum products at various stages, including he transports gasoline and diesel finished products. And so he can talk about sort of the global thing and how it fits into America. What he says about this administration is that we've not been smart about being realistic about our energy policy. And in fact, says we need to invest in at least a couple of more refineries. That, that, that gasoline, as we know, it's going to be around for many, many more years. And there's no doubting, and the energy companies understand this as well, that renewal, renewables are going to be part of it. Will renewables replace it? Most people don't think that actually is in anywhere in the future that we can even see. But to press it the way we press it, to move the AEV before manufacturers and others and supporting battery technology and other, everything else supports it, it's just been we're, – we're trying to move too fast, aren't we, Jonathan? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the, the legislation, well, it's not even legislation. That's the part that really gets under my crawl is uh, these congressmen did not vote on this stuff. The, the Senate they, this did not flow through. This was executive orders from the White House uh, to satisfy a crowd that's uh, not our voting politicians that we put in office to make these kinds of decisions. And this mandate that uh, all, all motor vehicles need to be electric vehicles by 2032 or 70% need to be electric by 2032 is preposterous. I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt Amer American manufacturing, and it's just not free enterprise business where the highest and best use of the resources that we currently have evolve over time to get to where we want to be. And you said it right. We could be an EV world one day. We're just not ready for it now. And to force it is to actually uh, disrupt uh, the North American automotive market, which is a whole lot of dealers, it's a whole lot of customers, it's a whole lot of everything by just putting this arbitrary 70% out there and it just will not work. And uh, in, in an inadvertent way, it's gonna turn our, if this doesn't change, our automotive market will be in effect handed to China. China. You know, hey, listen. My sense yeah. is, Jonathan, that we will see changes in November. <laughs> that's what that's what my sense is. We're but here's here's the here's the reality. Whether we have Democratic or Republican administration, we need an administration that that really embodies the reality of where we are. Because not only you know, we're, we're, a lot of the conversations are around EV and what's happening with electric vehicles and the constantly changing and innovation around the batteries, et cetera. All that's happening, but the, but also happening simultaneous to that is that the engines themselves, the cars, the non-EV vehicles are getting much better. The innovation's happening there to reduce emissions, and we're not really giving much credit to that, are we? No, no, no. There's a better way. And Toyota puts out this, um, this, this kind of informational thing that I'm allowed to share now uh, that'll start showing up on my Facebook. Actually, it's on my Facebook page now, a couple, couple of posts down. But um, there's a better way than just trying to say all EV all the way. There's a whole lot more. I mean, there's hybrid electric, which is a perfect better use of the current resource we have. And then there's plug-in hybrid. That, that is really the best option because 
the biggest problem with EVs is they're way too expensive in the first place, and most people can't afford them. Um, they, they, uh, the range anxiety where people are feared that they're going to get stuck. Well, look, if you can run on electric as long as you want, but then you can get home if you need to <laughs> because that, that, that gas engine's there too. I think that's the highest and best use, but that one, according to the federal government, is not the plan. It has to be full battery. And I want to say a stat here because this is something that needs to be said when it comes to materials and mining and what it takes to produce these cars. To produce one EV vehicle, you could produce nine plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. You could produce over 60 hybrid vehicles for the same amount of materials it takes to make one EV battery. That is, I mean, that means we're putting so much resources into cars. And right now, the the market share of EVs across the country is seven percent. If you take California out of the equation, it's less than four percent. And Mississippi, it's less than one percent. And and you know, when we have uh, electric vehicles on the lot that that people aren't buying, I mean, we're the the prices are. It's just not free market capitalism, and we're we're forced to hold these things, and it's just going to cost us all. It is a it's a it's a big challenge. You know, I, I talk about this all the time because the, the this show actually on Thursdays rolled out to Jackson and the Delta market, and we'll be adding more days and more markets as we go forward. And I, on my outdoor show, which I also is um, goes across the whole state, I talk about the reality that fifty one percent of Mississippians live in rural areas, and whether you're seeking health care or going to a job or whatever it might be, EV. It ain't, ain't going to work for you, most likely. It's <laughs> just no. not going to work. That's just the reality. My sister has a hybrid uh, car, and it just, that seems like sort of the perfect transition. That, yeah. that Actually, it seems like that would be a great transition for the next 20-plus years as we move you know, to better technology and all that. It just seems right. The fact that they wouldn't you – know, the, the current administration wouldn't support a hybrid, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. It's it's almost insane. I mean, at least at least plug-in hybrids. I mean, at least plug-in hybrids. But I mean, Toyota's been retailing hybrids in the United States since 2001, and two, I mean, it's not like this is new technology. I'm still amazed when I have anybody that goes, "I'm still shaky on these hybrids." You don't need to be shaky on hybrids anymore. They're they're good. The menu, all the manufacturers have hybrid figured out. Uh, but this EV thing, this this is something that we're not all ready for in, in ways that we haven't even considered yet, and it's being forced on us. And and we're all going to have – there's not enough plug-in plug stations. There's not enough infrastructure. There's not enough on the power grid, and nobody's taking this stuff into consideration. If everybody on my block here had an EV, our houses wouldn't be able to be powered. That's the interesting part that nobody's talking about. And, and what happens when people live in apartments – and they don't have. They might have a bank of eight chargers, but supposedly there's going to be seventy percent in that parking lot that are electric. We just can't even support this stuff right now. We can't even get there by 2032 to have seventy percent of the cars on the road being that. It's just. It's just. It just is a mandate that I don't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Hey, listen. Uh, of course, coming back to my CEO days. It ain't bad to have a big, hairy, audacious goal. 
I mean, sure. there's nothing wrong with that. But when a goal becomes an unrealistic mandate, that's a whole other ball game. And yes. what's interesting is to have a, an audacious goal, the industry would then come together, meet with the. It, I would say it would not just be the automotive industry, but it would also be, it would also be the energy sector as well. And anyone who's engaged in that in any way, Austin Golding Company, Golding Barge Line being part of that, because all these ancillary companies are impacted by these decisions, you would think that there would be this massive coming together to say, okay, this is a noble goal. It's an audacious goal, but it can't be a mandate, and here's why. It's not realistic. Yes. But what can we do? What what is What does a reasonable energy policy for, for America look like? How can we lead the, the, the world in this regard? Here's how we do that. That seems like it would be just a no-brainer to do that. Why can't that happen? Because it makes too much sense, Ricky. <laughs> uh, there's just, there's just not. Um, I, I, we have to. Assume, I, I don't know. I don't want to assume, but there's, there's other forces being pulled, pulling strings here that, uh, that's being forced through our government, and, uh, and our government is, is, you know, obliging to a group of people that's not the common public, and, yeah. uh, and forcing stuff on us that. Uh, I think there's a bigger, bigger thing at play here, and uh, it's just using the environment as ways to to, to flip our whole thing, and yeah. it's going to affect our economy, our, our economy negatively. And our North American automotive market, if this doesn't change, is in is in some big trouble. It's in some yeah. big trouble because it's, it, it, it's just going to put all the automotive manufacturers on the thumb under the thumb. It's going to. I predict it will change because there's a powerful lubrication to change that comes from pain, and you can't ha you can't have this much pain in local dealerships around the country, and then you then you get to the regional part that you and I were talking about, and then to the national part that you and I were talking about. The whole dynamic about the car business internationally is impacted by such a, a mandate, an unrealistic mandate, that the that the pain that comes from the, the pending mandate that's that's out there is going to force this to change. Now, look, there, we all know that no matter who the Republican candidate is, if, if a Republican gets in there, then we're going to get realistic about our energy policy. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. And that's yeah. not that's not just being a favoring energy. That's not what the, this is about. Being realistic about yeah. what a transition plan should look like as America works and moves closer toward being energy, not only energy independent, but also uh, in a position where we can do renewables in a way that are doable and, and we can live with those and it's not impacting the uh, economy. That's uh, that's for sure, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's we can't continue on the current path and 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 produce good results. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, when we, come, when we come back in the final segment, I want to actually ask uh, Jonathan about new technology that might be coming out on cars and I mean, everything's changing. Even 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 the hybrid cars now look if you look on the inside, they even some of the some of the gasoline cars, they look like EV cars now on the inside. The, the use of technology and all that, it's just so cool. We'll, we'll talk to him more about that for the final segment. We'll see you after this. to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive. When we took a break, we're talking about EVs and the energy policy and mandates that are on the horizon. They're going to be incredibly difficult. To, in fact, we're not going to be able to meet those mandates. 70% EV is just not doable for a very, very, very long time. But but you made a comment, actually, while, we, while you were talking about that. I want to come back to this because this is really important. Um, I pay a lot of attention every morning reading about the geopolitical situation, and you know we think in terms of Russia and Ukraine and what's happening in Israel and all of that. But the clear and present danger that continues to be front and center for everyone is uh, the Chinese. And it's interesting when, when during the pandemic we learned that they a lot of our prescription drugs come from China. We learned about chip industry, what that's all about. We we let the globalists in, in our in our world move us to a situation where manufacturing was closed in America and open in China at much lesser wage, wages. And we've been driving to as low cost as we possibly can, creating this sort of global economy that uh, during the pandemic, we learned about our vulnerabilities. And what we shouldn't lose sight of as well is that in this whole dynamic that you were just talking about, and you said we don't want the auto market to become a Chinese market, that is actually incredibly possible, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'll say the stats that I just said, um, and the numbers might might not be completely correct, but I'm, I'm just going to put it in proportions. If we have one battery manufacturing facility in the United States, China has 10, which means if we have 20, they have 200. Uh, their Chinese manufacturers that are that are opening up left and right um, are producing all electric vehicles. And I have received more information about potential Chinese manufacturer dealerships coming to the U.S. in the last few months than I ever have. But who's going to open up these dealerships? I mean, ultimately, if this mandate doesn't change, uh, we're going to effectively hand our automotive market to China. And, and th th that's not good for the consumer, it's not good for America, and it's not good for American manufacturing, and it's not good for all the brands that are already here and been you know, abiding by the, the rules and regulations of the federal government of, of America for, for decades and decades yeah. and decades. And uh, you know, to put this unfair mandate on the current manufacturers, knowing that our biggest competitor on the, on the planet uh, has a stranglehold on this stuff, it makes you wonder what, what's really going on here and is the mission to crush crash the North American car market because that could potentially happen if this mandate doesn't change. Hey, when you think about, okay, Tesla, uh, you think about American manufacturers, even Toyota, because Toyota has had an innovative um, uh, reputation for, for a lot of years. When you, when you kind of – and there are others, obviously. We can mention all the others, but we don't have time to do that. You, you ball them up and you say, okay, look at the innovation coming out of these companies. And then you look at a Chinese company. Does the innovation match up? Uh, I, well, I haven't spent – we don't have any way to spend any time around these cars, but I have to uh, make a just broad assumption. I'm going to say a hard no uh, because yeah. they just do not have the quality control things that we do in America to make sure that the products we're getting to the end consumer are a good product. And, you know, that's 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 what America, I think, does right in a lot of ways. And and then then enforces stuff where people take shortcuts and it affects the consumer in a negative way. And I mean, that's what recalls are all for when a car's got something wrong. Well, China doesn't play by these rules when they manufacture. And if they're detached from the from the from the fixing it process after the fact, 
that's just a nightmare for all of us. It's a nightmare for the consumer. It's a nightmare. And, you know, I, I don't want to assume anything, but Chinese China material and China production doesn't exactly produce the highest quality thing. So let's just, yeah. uh, let's just yeah. put it that way. Hey, so hey, speaking of innovation, for the last little few couple of minutes that we have, there's some cool innovation coming down on cars today. I mean, you, you think about um, a, a Tesla and what it looked like, and now you see most of the manufacturers have that same kind of look using all these digital capabilities and, and touch screens and all that. It's amazing. Just in the last three or four years, the, the massive amount of interior innovation that's happened in these automobiles, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially with the self-driving stuff. And I mean, and that's, this is not a perfect science. This is actually perfect case in point as to why this hybrids and battery, because it needs to slowly happen into the right direction. I've seen, uh, uh, you know, a Tesla test track that had uh, all no drivers in the cars and it was moving and one went wrong and they all crashed into each other. So this, this technology is great, but it's not ready yet. It's not 100% ready yet, but the cars are getting all of these unique, cool things that, that, that changes the way we travel, but it's got to happen at a, you know, a, a steady pace where we don't just throw it out there and then we all end up in those cars and, and then we're all wrecked together. And, you know, just cause we've tried to turn over to technology and just give it, all the control. I also see some manufacturers leaning a little back, going back towards more simple, and uh, and we'll see what that does. We'll see if that actually drops prices too. But, yeah. Um, hey, but you yeah, know that that self driving. I'm 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 very skeptical about it, but but the the cars that we have more recently. Uh, what I like about that feature is that it's it's a very significant safety feature because if you do sort of begin to drift, it's helping you realize that you better get you better get straight again. It's probably that part actually saving some lives. That's what I'm thinking. I don't I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. Um, but some people will lean in too far to it and let it do the driving. And they should. Yeah, you like one. You could just let go of the steering wheel, and that's to me that's scary. But yep. it, it literally will drive itself. Hey, listen, uh, John. And Alan, it's been great to catch up with you. We will not wait over a year before we get back together again. Always a pleasure, Ricky. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy being on your show. You bet, my friend. You bet, my. We, we, this has been uh, Jonathan Allen from J. Allen Automotive. Great conversation. I really enjoyed kind of covering the waterfront with him today. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Take care. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.